2: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton. And Super Bowl was one for the ages, went into overtime. And man, I mean, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What did y'all think? I loved it. I, I thought it was I thought it was a boring game. In the first
0: half and most of the third quarter. Now, boring is relative, right? You're a Kansas City or 49ers fan. And then the fourth quarter, the back and forth began, right? They tried to match each other and get that going. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, one team had Pat Mahomes, the other didn't.
1: That's that's really what it came down to, in my opinion. My biggest takeaway was how difficult it actually is to win a championship. I mean, how many games. How many football games, all everybody, all, the three of us and everybody on this uh, live stream or on Coffee Football, have you watched in your life and that punt comes close to hitting somebody's foot, comes close to hitting that guy, but it doesn't. And you're like, they replay and it and said, oh man, just missed, just missed, fire, 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 didn't hit him. I mean, it is so difficult to win a championship. Especially when the other player, the other team's got one of the greatest players that's going to have ever played. I mean, that's the whole deal, right there, right? And, and I'm not making this a golf show at all. It, it that reminded me of when Phil Mickelson just was going against Tiger, and Tiger was just better. You know, you can't. If he had an opportunity, he was going to run with it. It is so hard to win a championship. That was my takeaway because the 49ers had the better roster. One oh, through 53, or whatever you want. They have more Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers on their team, I think. Maybe. Maybe. It may, be a, it may be a wash there. But, I mean, Trent Williams is a Hall of Famer. Christian McCaffrey is going to be a Hall of Fame player. Nick Bosa is going to be a Hall of Fame player. They got at least three. KC may have three as well. Uh, there's some PC, young guys. I think, has four. McDuffie, if he has, goes on and stays healthy for his career. So I, it may end up being 4-4 when all said and done. But, I mean, San Francisco had the, a little bit of better roster, I would say, top to bottom. I mean, their defensive line was wh- – what I thought was unbelievable about the way they played Mahomes, which I thought they did about as, as good a job as you could do, was Bosa played such disciplined football from an edge position that he turned everything back into – um oh to what's his name's big long arms right and uh, it affected past enough. Of yeah. yeah uh yes the, who they call the blueprint yeah. um it turned everything back into him who stayed at home and was disciplined and used his length uh to affect things so it that game to me and you just watch Kyle Shanahan walk off walk on off the field at the end of that game and you said that's really how difficult it is to win a championship that's why when you have looks at it I mean, I, I it, you got to capitalize. Yep. I hey, you talk about Shanahan, forty four years
0: old. Yep. Okay, uh, forty four years old. University of Texas uh, grad. Uh, played wide receiver with Chris Sims uh, when he was there at Texas. Um, my my take on it uh, is similar to Jerry's. I just I feel ultimately one team had uh, had Pat Mahomes and the other team didn't. Um, you can say what you want, but Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, when the chips were on the line, they went and scored. Period, and didn't have any kind of. And it, I don't think Kyle Shanahan was not out coached. No, and, and Andy Reid's a somebody just mentioned it in the chat. Andy Reid's a Hall of Fame coach too, Jerry. You got to put That's that right. on. No doubt. Um, and so I, he didn't get out coached. They got outplayed um, by by the thinnest of margins. The other, the other guy that that's going to be a Hall of Famer is Chris Jones, no period. doubt. Um, from in, the interior, I mean, look, it, without his pass rush, they the Chiefs don't have a pass rush. Right, and I he mean, did it. On,
1: one, he did it on one leg, essentially. That's I mean, what an what an amazing player he is. But
0: Travis Kelsey, Pat Mahomes, and Chris Jones, nobody affected the game more than they did. Period. As good as Trent Williams is, as good as McCaffrey. Is, um you know, and how many times third and third and seven, third and medium, they ran those little
1: cross crossing routes. You know, yeah. hey, hey, by the way, we got to tell our Chris Jones story because we have. So the first time we told this Chris Jones story, we've got eight thousand people on on Texas football. Now we're closing on thirty seven thousand. So yeah. this was way back in the day at twenty four seven sports. Somebody Bobby knew. In Mississippi, called him and said, "Hey, there's this. There's a guy down in Mississippi, big defensive lineman. He may be the best prospect in the state." So Bobby comes over to me, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you you need you need to go take a look at this guy? Uh, uh, you know, somebody I've known for years says he's a tremendous prospect." <clears throat> and I went down uh, to rural Mississippi where the, where Chris Jones was, and we ranked him at twenty four seven Sports the number two player in America shortly after that. And it, well, it that was a, well, the reason I bring this up is not to pat ourselves on the back about a ranking. It's because the recruitment and what Texas is headed into in recruiting. This is why this strikes me with Chris Jones. Chris Jones played for a high school that was all Mississippi State guys, staff. They essentially were hiding him from other colleges as long as possible. Ole Miss was in on it. They knew, okay. But, it got to a point where Chris Jones, then we kind of blew him up because we ranked him high, right? That's the business. So then Ole Miss is all in. Every, Alabama tries. And I mean, I don't know. I think one of their assistant coaches got pulled over for going six above the speed limit somewhere <laughs> across the state line. But it was that was what you're dealing with in SEC recruiting, especially in the state of Mississippi. Man, they will hide guys um they will try to influence recruitment it's a interesting area it's a difficult area to recruit in uh but chris jones is one of my favorite stories bobby from all those years because it was he was an unknown in a world of he, there's not many he unknowns. wasn't even a three-star jerry he wasn't, he, he wasn't ranked.
0: he wasn't ranked. he wasn't anything no we put him back. jerry sent me a picture literally jerry goes down there the week after i tell him about him jerry goes down there and sends me a picture. And if you can imagine, a guy that is what six foot four and a half, six foot five, yeah, and has a wingspan the size of—I don't even know what to tell you. At that time, he was probably six five, 235, thirty-five, two forty, something yep. like that. And he—you knew he was going to be six five, 315, and still look just as skinny ankles.
1: Or, yeah, all of it. Oh yeah.
0: But I, the, yeah, you actually know how I got that name. It wasn't, it was Texas went to play Ole Miss in Oxford. Okay. So I used to know the Oxford High School head football coach back in the day. And so I actually talked to him. He goes, I go, well, well who are the best players down here this year? He goes, Oh, Chris Jones. And I'm, and I'm sitting there Googling, you know, Chris Jones, not in any database, nothing. Right. Like, who the f- is Chris Jones? He goes, Oh, I think he's unbelievable. And I go, And and this is a guy, by the way, that used to help do some recruiting for Ole Miss, et cetera. And he goes, you know, he's he's unbelievable. And sure enough, I go, Jerry, I've never seen this kid. All I know is this coach is telling me this kid's unbelievable. Not good, not great, unbelievable. (laughs) And so he ended up being a top 10 ranked player in
1: America within a week of being an unknown. And, And here's the crazy thing. You know who was one and three in that class by a lot of rankings? It may have changed. People go back and look at it. Robert Kimdichie was one. We had ranked one. Chris no. Jones, two. Reuben Foster, three. And here's what that told you at the time. And it still rings true in recruiting. Who's going to maximize their talent? Because I'm here to tell you, <clears throat> Robert Kimdichie had every bit as much as Chris Jones did as a talent. Reuben Foster as a linebacker, had every much, every much to talent as Kim Deachy and Chris Jones had at his position. Who's gonna maximize your talent? Chris Jones has maximized his talent. Kim Deechey and Ruben Foster did not. And where are they now? Foster, All three guys Foster, should have been. Foster playing. had some energy, some injury issues. Yeah. But Foster and injury and luck
0: plays a plays. Well, a little bit he had us off the field
1: too. Yep. No, he did. He did. Hey, I, 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 have have news. Stuff.
0: Hey, I also have some news. I want to say here real quick. Uh, and I, I wrote this article this morning on on Texas football. I'm being told uh, by a high ranking source at the University of Texas uh, that the Longhorns are not even contemplating playing any Big 12 teams in football or basketball for the foreseeable future. Now, a lot of people thought that would be the case but I'm here to tell you that it is the case and it includes basketball now too, Jerry. Yeah. Um, And so be, be on the uh, lookout for that. Nobody's uh, really reported it, that it's that heavy, but I'm being told that uh, some things that were said in the preseason by the commissioner, the deputy commissioner that we talked about here on this programming uh, is going to, to, you know, let's just put it this way, not, not going to do it. So, Anyways, that's that's where it's at uh, and what I was told uh, yesterday, actually. So uh, news there, I do not expect Texas to schedule it. And Texas Tech was aiming for a, a, another game. Uh, so was Baylor and TCU and all these other teams. Not going to happen. Iowa State, you know, out. So just uh, just realize that. There are a couple of teams that they don't have any animosity towards, by the way. but. I, I don't, I don't see them uh, doing anything of the sort, uh, and that's from uh,
2: you know about as high as it can come. Wow, big is there for sure, no doubt about it. Yep. somebody in the chat morning. asked,
1: somebody early in the chat asked, who's the next to commit the taxes? Here's my answer to that: Steve Sarkey, Somebody will commit the taxes when Sark's ready to take a commitment or push for a commitment. I mean, I, I think you're going to want You're going to see a lot of guys come in. Uh, for around the spring practice, um, around the spring game, April twentieth, I think that's really going to be the next true traction you see in recruiting here. I, I because I do think this about the Sart. I think they're going to use the spring evaluation period. I put up some the story, a little story on a, maybe an overview on on texasfootball.com this morning. The nineteen offers in the twenty twenty five class made in January through February second when the coaches were on the road. 19 new offers a lot of those guys haven't been to campus yet right so i think texas is going to see how many of these guys they can get to campus that they liked in the spring uh, as they continue to kind of move their board around continue to evaluate this right i mean coach nansen kenny baker they're just starting to get to know some of these guys that texas had already offered in a 25 class, plus guys they they like on tape, maybe a little bit different, maybe a little different more. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see where things go. If who Texas really pushes for, I think who who gets on campus in March and for the spring game is gonna be telling. Remember this Brandon Baker was not really interested in Texas a year ago this time. Now, his teammate DeAndre Carter came in for one of the January. Junior days went back to modern day, had good things to say. When did Texas get Brandon Baker on campus? Spring game. And then he ends up signing with Texas. So just that that's just kind of remember that about Texas recruiting under Steve Sarkeesian. They play the long game, and some people would say the ultra-long game. But for a lot of these guys in 2025 that they now like, especially with the new coaches coming in, the staff changes on defense. The real pushes for these guys haven't really even begun yet. They're going to begin in March and April at the spring game, headed in the spring evaluation period, then June official visits.
2: Well, we'll talk some more recruiting here in a second. But before we do that, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell folks out there about John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The Longhorn Wealth team wants to congratulate our fellow Longhorn, Charles Benahue. For his victory last night as part of the Kansas City Super Bowl chief winning team, Uh, we pray that Charles has a speedy recovery and full recovery from the knee injury he suffered in the AFC championship game. Uh, But we are proud to play a key that he played a key role in helping his team get to the Super Bowl and give them the chance to become champions. Speaking of champions, that is exactly what John Donovan brings to the table as a certified financial planner who has spent over 30 years providing championship-level investment, retirement, insurance, and estate planning services and solutions to his clients. So please give John and the Longhorn Wealth team a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net for a free 90-minute consultation to explore how they can help you maximize and protect your tax-efficient retirement income to help you
1: live the retirement of a champion. Thanks, John, uh, for your sponsorship of On Texas Football. Hey, Jeff Carey, good point here. What Bobby was talking about earlier, for Texas football, that's a, hey, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. You're going to the SEC, doesn't matter if you don't play the teams from Texas. Basketball is going to be a little more interesting because the Big 12 is going to be the dominant basketball league in the country, in college, in college basketball. So if Texas doesn't play Houston, any of those teams anymore, any Big 12 teams anymore, look, their schedule is actually going to take a little bit of a hit in the future. That will be interesting because the Big 12 is going to dominate basketball. I look, I But it know doesn't I, matter.
0: I, <laughs> I know what I've been told. I mean, yeah. look, is SMU part of that? They weren't part of the – they're the ACC. That, so that's, that's Dallas. Uh, Rice is in Houston. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to play every they don't need to play in Waco. That doesn't really do anything. No. Um, Out West Texas. No offense to folks from Waco or West Texas, but it doesn't really bring uh, a lot of uh, uh, recruits to the arena, so to speak. Um, And so I I feel like I don't feel like it's that big a deal uh, as some people might make it in basketball. Although the Kansas game, obviously a, a perennial national power. Baylor, has Arizona,
1: both Arizonas are now going to be in the Big 12, Colorado, Utah. So you're taking but they out they haven't played those guys. No, but I think moving forward, I think remember like Texas, Arizona, when TJ got to Texas, Texas, Arizona were awesome games in basketball, right? And um, I think you know, that was a team that had been talked about maybe in the building a little bit, but hey, it's it's all part of it. Um Texas and just go head east. Go start, get North Carolina, get Duke on the schedule again, get some of those ACC teams on the schedule. As long as there's an ACC.
2: Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Jerry. You know, we talk about going to the SEC, helping football recruiting. Do you think it will hurt basketball recruiting?
1: Oh, slightly, yes, I do. Because, look, I I think the Big 12 is going to be such a dominant league in basketball, especially bringing in Arizona. While Arizona State's not a great team, it's still Bobby Hurley and Arizona State coming with Arizona. Um, The guy at Colorado does a great job. And with USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten, I think California is wide open in basketball recruiting. So I think it hurts a little bit because the Big 12 is going to be such a dominant conference in basketball. Um, And and all those schools are going to recruit that against you, the Houstons, the Baylors, Kansas, when they come recruit in Texas. Now, you may only sign one guy a year from Texas because – Three guys in a high school class and three guys out of the portal, uh, but it, it definitely is going to make it a little more difficult in my in my estimation.
2: Very interesting for sure. Well, before we start taking questions, I want to read this comment here from Mike D. He says, "Good morning, UT family. Great weekend for the Longhorn sports. Women and men's basketball and softball too. UT softball beating UCLA, who's ranked number eight, twice: three to two and sixteen to nothing." Congrats and hook them. It was a good weekend, and golf, hey, and swimming also had a good week, or tennis I, had good weekends. The the women's softball
0: team run ruled UCLA in that second game. No. Uh, yeah, they they're, they're off to a good start. Mike White, uh, the the New Zealand guy that was on our show last last week or week before last, uh, he was excited. You could tell. He I think he may have some pitching this year, even more than what he had a year ago. And that that as we all know, that really is what rules the roost in softball.
2: Yeah, so through their first four games, they outscored their opponents 54-3. to And that includes playing number eight UCLA twice. I mean, that's The best
1: thing for Chip Kelly is he didn't have to watch either one of them. He was in Columbus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hey, Bobby,
1: I I wasn't on the live stream Friday when all that went down. I I think we got to revisit that with our coffee and football crowd. Did you ever think you'd see the day in college football? Where a head coach of a program like UCLA would say, F it, I'm out. I'm going to go be the OC at Ohio State for my former quarterback." I I never thought I would see that day in college football. So we've seen it. Here, here's my th- we've
0: seen it elsewhere, like the Buffalo uh, uh, head coach just went to be part of the Alabama run, mm-hmm. um, staff. But that's that's going from a MAC coach. I mean, Nick Saban left being the head coach at where Toledo, I think, or. Kent State to, to going be to be DC the, of the yeah to be the defense coordinator of the Browns. I mean things like that happen, but UCLA I, that's unbelievable to me. On the surface, I, mean, I, I still I mean, at what point do you look if you're a UCLA fan and say why am I even a
1: fan? Does that feel like the death penalty in a way for the fan UCLA fan base? So it's like our head coach left a power five job. We're going to the Big Ten to go be the OC of a Big Ten school. I do want to say this. Feels like the death penalty if I'm a fan. I
0: I want to say this. So I talked to some folks in the coaching fraternity over the weekend. As I'm want to do, I call, you know, we just catch up and shoot the breeze. And they said that the reason he took he did this nil, yeah, and he's got enough money. He doesn't give a crap anymore. Yeah, he just wants to be happy. And oh well, it's he. I, some people were like, I, some some people in the chat were saying, well, he's going to be the the fox and then in in the hen house at Ohio State. Nobody felt that way because he uh, Ryan Day played for Chip Kelly at New Hampshire, so nobody thinks that way or is thinking that way. They think he may you know launch into another job, but right. not not be the guy at Ohio State if Day doesn't get it done. Um, and so they were just like. UCLA is a difficult situation because USC's in your backyard and they're willing to do NIL. UCLA is willing to do NIL in basketball, apparently, right. but not really football. I mean, good luck. Despite, despite getting ready to get a what 70, $80 million paycheck from the big 10. Yeah. I mean, at what point do you say, okay, cut the players in on it and let's just all figure this out. That's what needs to happen. But of course, um, it's not happening right now. And for that, there's going to be some haves and have-nots. And unbelievably, UCLA right now in football is a
1: have not Unbelievable.
2: Yep. Never thought hey, of this day Another thing we haven't talked about on Coffee and Football, and thank you to Colton Martinez for bringing this up, Gary <laughs> Patterson to Baylor. Did y'all see that coming?
1: I mean, yeah. You know, here's the thing I'll say about that. Obviously, Patterson and the Bryles do not get along. Kendall Bryles, as the TCUOC, serves as motivation for Gary to go help Baylor. It's interesting how that's flipped.
0: <laughs> I No, I know it's the truth. We, I mentioned that here. Um, here's the other interesting thing. I was told about a month ago that he was going to go work for another Big 12 team, but didn't want to tell people who it was. So word didn't get didn't leak out. This is why, you know, if he was going to help Joey McGuire, word would have leaked out, but going to help Baylor, different story. You know, I look. I He's got a statue in front of the stadium at TCU. At what point do you say, eh, maybe we take the statue down, coach? We'll put it back up once you stop parading at our perennial,
1: you know,
0: when, it, when you stop Go take it. Why don't you just go take a job at like, I don't know, Arkansas or LSU or somewhere where we don't play you. But he took a job at Texas and now Baylor.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, seriously, if he were to take a job at Rice,
1: they wouldn't care. But he's kind of flaunting it right now. Here's the here's the thing, too. I'll tell you why it's smart for by Gary to do this is. Look, he probably came close at the U of H job to really being in it, right? I I think if he can go kind of help resurrect Dave Aranda a little bit when everybody thinks Aranda's done, he can help resurrect that a little bit, that might get him a head coaching job somewhere in the Big 12. That might be the thing he needs. I don't think so because of age, um, but you never know. Who's their quarterback? Yeah, they
0: got this a mass transfer. I mean, mm. you know, and so you can't. It's hard to resurrect things when you ain't got a quarterback.
1: Texas has, been, Texas has been there, yeah. by the way. The, the blue bonnet battle is real. I love it, Colton. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about one other school real quick because Mock Snell says, "What effect do the two former Washington coaches leaving for Bama, leaving Bama for Seattle have?" It was the OC and OL coach offensive line. And
1: I actually think OL coach is more uh, impactful. I mean, I I know people are like, well, this guy's been Kalen DeBoer's. Kalen DeBoer's won wherever he goes. He's going to win. The question is, he's going to win at Alabama. The question is, he's going to win a national championship at Alabama. The guy's going to win. If people don't think he's not going to win, just look at his resume. He wins wherever he goes. That doesn't mean he's not going into a a difficult situation, but that guy—he's a winner. Winners win. I mean, he's going to win. It doesn't matter. Um, he's going to have good quarterbacks. He's going to evaluate that position. He—he'll call the plays. He'll—he'll he'll do things he's always done. Right? I mean, Ryan Grubb called plays, but look, Deboer's mind is—is is dominant in all of this. Um, Alabama can find that. I think offensive line coach is—is—is is a, is a tough one to replace. That continuity. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see who he hires on the offensive line because it's probably gonna be somebody that hasn't been in his system for years. So that to me is a that's the bigger hire than the OC. It's not like he did everything with Ryan Grubb. I mean, I,
0: I'm just sitting here, he didn't they, they weren't even on the same staff when he was at Sioux Falls. Right. Uh, you know, and where he started this run. He wasn't on the staff at Indiana when he turned. Michael Pinnock's around as a true freshman. Exactly. I mean, and and so I agree with Jerry. uh, While I believe that Ryan Grubb is a good football coach. Yes. No no doubts about that. Um, I I think that the offensive line coach is a little bit different because uh, they understand the scheme of what they're trying to do on offense and support it very well. And Jerry mentioned the continuity of that. Not having to explain to your offensive line coach what you need in game situations can be the difference uh, in winning and losing. That's why you see offensive line coaches follow guys around and they kind of become symbiotic. Uh, the head coach and the offensive line coach. Just
2: that that's my my take on that. Okay, Jason Fox says, since Georgia and Florida are now conference opponents, who would you like to replace them with in the non-conference games they were scheduled for in the future? UCLA, that seems like an easy let <laughs> <part.
0: laughs> <laughs> <I'll> start there. <laughs> Look, I, I think the other thing I would say is that Texas is going to have eight conference opponents this year. I think going forward, the SEC is going to have nine.
1: What, and so what, there's what? only going
0: to be room for three non-cons. What's so, interesting
1: too about not playing the Big Twelve teams in football is I, I would have liked to see in a Texas schedule a game against an Arizona and go play in Tempe against the Arizona State. Right? You want to recruit that state or play home and home with guys? They but, want they want
0: seven home games a year minimum. Yeah, Crystal Conte yeah. wants seven. You're going to see them play UTEP, UCSA, um, Louisiana Monroe, Louisiana Lafayette um those sorts of teams maybe southern miss you know where they kind of do regional teams that are division one but not major division one that's what you'll see in the future i think after they get through this onslaught of michigan ohio Ohio state back to back to back to back i mean they're going to play nine game schedule in 25 in the sec and play ohio state
2: Bobby, Jeremy has a question for you. He says, well, the Hex Rally start back up for the Aggie game like back in the day. I don't know if y'all were – that's a great question,
0: Jeremy. I have no clue what, what the, the athletic department has uh, has uh, planned for that. But that was always hilarious. Uh, back in the day, the football team would get up on the steps of the, uh, of the tower uh, leading to it and kind of uh, a couple of guys would say a couple of things. I was there one time when Britt Hager, uh, who was a little bit of a crazy man, I uh, got up and had some choice things to say about the Aggies, uh, but uh, no, I I don't know what they've got planned. It'll be fun. It, I mean, rekindling that rivalry is big to everybody in around the state. I, I just uh, wrote an article actually for a, a magazine that's going to be coming out in the this summer, and it, it was about how the state of Texas has missed this rivalry. It's not just the University of Texas. It's not just Texas A and M. Although I think that. Some of us could care less whether you play A and M. You just want a rival. That the thing was for ninety something years, there was no bigger rivalry that just encapsulated the state of Texas. Okay, the Cowboys had the Eagles or the Giants, right? Uh, the The Astros and the Rangers they didn't really have a rivalry until maybe the last ten years, right? I mean, the Spurs and the I mean, there was no real basketball rivalry. Nobody. Um, And so Texas, Texas A&M was it. okay? and Texas is a sports crazed state that favors football over on a grander scale over every other sport. Okay, we lost that. You know, the Cowboys never played the Oilers or or the Texans. There was never a rivalry there. This was actually a rivalry that was settled on the field. And we've taken it away now for 12, 13 years. And I personally think that that was taking away more talk in the coffee shops yes. among fans. You know what I mean? Look, that kind of stuff like this,
1: Jerry. Look, look, where, look, look, I'll give you a perfect example. I was in East Texas last week in a number of coaches' offices. One of the fun things early in my years in this business is when I'd go to Kilgore High School on a Friday, right? And they had a game, okay? And, and you're hanging out in the coach's office there. And three of those coaches are Texas fans. Three or four of those coaches are AM fans. A couple of those guys are LSU fans. And they're kind of a little back and forth trash talk. You don't really get that AM and and Texas trash talk for the last decade. Like in things you normally would get. And I really do think it helped open up the state in recruiting. Not the as much the move to the SEC. The move to the SEC coupled with A&M and Texas not playing is what really did it. Because when you have a great rivalry in state, that does push kids a, in, a little bit harder to stay in state. I mean, it's different because Alabama, state of Alabama, doesn't produce as many prospects. They may produce as many high-end prospects, though. But that Alabama-Auburn, I mean – you know, Georgia's broke breaks through with that a little bit when Kirby went to Georgia. But, man, it's different when you have that in-state rivalry and those kids hear about it every day. They, a kid can be in his coach's office at Mansfield, whatever, high school, and he might listen to a conversation about A&M in Texas, the rivalry. It matters. And, and kids haven't heard that for more than a decade now in the state of Texas. Um, so, I think it's going to be, I think it's a great thing for recruiting uh, for both AM and Texas. And who doesn't want to keep more guys in state if possible? And one or two guys a year matters because that's eight over a four year period if they're some of the best players in the state. But, you know, it, that matters. That's going to matter for AM and Texas.
2: We were talking about the schedule just a moment ago. So I want to go over to this question uh, from the ontexasfootball.com forums from Texas Fan in Georgia. And he says, should we continue scheduling a marquee non-conference game? Why or why not? Man, I can tell you why not. Um, You
0: go play nine conference games in the SEC, and you want to add Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State or USC on top of that? Clemson, man, that's that 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 that's getting yourself. Look, I think Mack Brown had this vision of doing that, and that's one of the reasons Texas had a problem getting itself out of its way. He, he went and played Maryland and Cal and lost games to went zero for four out of conference, zero for four against those those teams. So don't don't get me wrong. Um, that's why you don't do it because when you're not at your peak, you lose those games because they, those teams circle those, those games against Texas.
1: I think it's Uh, going to be interesting moving forward to see the first two or three years of this 12 team playoff, how many three loss teams get in. I think that's going to kind of affect how people schedule is kind of how the 12 team playoff unfolds moving forward. If you have two or three three three-loss teams in, if that's possible, um, I think that can bring more marquee games in. If you're not totally penalized for that, if say if you lose to Michigan and you go nine and three and you make the college football playoff, well then, you know, strength the schedule, you get credit for that. Um, I I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out with the playoff and how many three-loss
2: teams get in. All right, guys. Well, it is time for Jerry to make the return oh, of man. Manscaped. Let's hear it, Jerry.
1: Hey, right, 2024 is here in full swing, and that means it's time for a New Year's resolution check-in with our friends at Manscaped. It's never too late to level up your grooming game and keep your brush tame. Manscaped's new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra is every man's cheat code. To look good, feel good, and turn the page on confidence this year. Whether you're going for a trim or that clean-shaven look, this trimmer has you covered. Trusted by over 10 million men worldwide. Now is your time to get a grip on your grooming with your our new exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use as all caps, for 20% off plus free shipping. Hey guys, the ball is dropped. But don't drop the ball on your balls. Manscaped <laughs> on Texas for 20% off.
2: It's been a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's been too long. I will say this: they had, they had super Bowl Super Bowl commercials yesterday. As they should. Yeah. So I don't I don't feel quite quite as cringy as maybe I could. You know, they had Super Bowl commercials. <laughs>
2: Oh, all right. let's get to some more questions here and uh let's talk recruiting for a little bit yeah. Antoine says how is Texas looking with Smith, the Rogbo and Landon Rink? I think that's a great question because um and I'm gonna follow this up. Uh, uh, you know
1: add in Chad Woodford because there's been some talk about an RPM pick for Chad Woodford that switched back and forth well here's the thing Texas is still evaluating these guys I mean, so um, that's the one thing to know. And Texas is not pushing to get many guys in the boat right now at all. They w- There's a, a probably 10, 12 guys that could call if they decided to end their recruitment today and the commitment would be taken. But otherwise, look, Sark wants to get these guys on campus. Smith or Ogbo is a great one. Jeff Banks goes by Leaf Hastings, offers him 6'5", 215. I was by Hastings in uh, high in early January, saw Smith or Ogbo. Longer frame, a little bit bigger frame than the Chad Woodfork, who Texas brought in the January 20 junior day. So that's this is kind of what we're talking about. That's kind of a perfect segue to that. Is those are two guys who continue to be evaluated. Who's gonna who's gonna fit the mold long term with the frame? Uh Texas hasn't had a robo on campus yet. He'll be on campus in March or April, right? So that's why this you go slow in this recruiting process. That's why you play the long game. That's one of those edge offers that was made uh, where A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, all the, those guys have offered him now, right? That's the way the game goes. If one offers, the other two are going to offer. Uh, so, But that's another guy who's popped onto the radar at the edge position. You have Lance Jackson, um, you like Camoran Morgan, who's now at South Oak Cliff, moved from Red Oak. He was originally a South Oak Cliff kid, but then you're evaluating that position. And I'm willing to bet there will be an out-of-state offer made in May at that position when the staff's on the road evaluating players. Uh, Landon Rink, great motor. Bobby and I did a a video on D-Line that will be coming out. But uh, Landon Rink, great motor. Where does he fall on that Texas board? I mean, they went and offered two out-of-state guys in February. Uh, Josiah Sharma at Folsom. Myron Charles at Port Charlotte. I actually talked to Myron Charles Sunday. Now I don't know how much traction Texas will get there. Uh, I think Jeff Banks was in the area. He's top 100, 150 kid in the country. And I think he went to see him and made the offer. Sharma says he's going to visit in March or April, right? So there's a lot of guys on the board at D-line. Kenny Baker did go see Landon Rink. I believe that was his first stop driving from Austin to Houston. Uh, he went to see Landon Rink, Floyd Gidger at Spring, Chase Sims at Lamarck and uh, Richmond Randall. And then uh, Carmelo Brooks at Katie Pato that first day on the road. Then he went and saw Zion Williams day two before going up to Dallas. So Landon Rink's in that mix. Where's he at? Is he as high on the board as a Brandon Brown committed to Texas? Josiah Sharma, you know, Floyd Gidry, some of those guys. I think we'll have to see. I think Oklahoma has made Landon Rink a priority more than Texas has to this point.
0: Interesting. I, I, I'm going to say this. I think uh, I wrote an article over the weekend called Sark's Way, you know, and get used to it, guys. He's not trying to fill up the boat right now. It's not no. a race that he, he's running a, a marathon, not a sprint. And so other teams are going to run sprints because they got to get while the getting good. They don't have any leverage. They don't have a University of Texas logo behind them. They don't have. They didn't just play in the college football playoff. They're sprinting to get theirs. Texas is not doing that right now. They're trying to get the best players possible. They take Chad Woodford, just to give you an example, and take Smith and off the. It, t- it effectively takes Smith Aragbo off the table for them. Well, they haven't even seen Smith
1: Rogbo. The whole staff hasn't seen him in person because he right. didn't come come to junior day. They haven't got his hand wingspan. They haven't measured him yet. So they haven't spent time with him. Why would you do that?
0: Why would you handicap yourself? That Sark does not do that. I mean, he doesn't box himself in. Mac Brown used to box himself in and did it on purpose, so he didn't have to recruit later. To be honest, um, don't. Buy, why would you box yourself in this early if you hold the if you hold some of the proverbial cards? You don't hold all of them. I'm not trying to say you hold all of them, okay? But you hold enough that you play this out. And frankly, and like I wrote the article, Sark's done freaking pretty good at doing this. So why why would you not just keep playing that car and playing the game and playing the hand the same way? I I definitely would. I think he's got this. Look, there are certain things I can, there are individual situations where I can say, I disagree with that. or I disagree with how they handled this recruit, or I disagree on this, okay? But if you look in the macro and you can't say um, from a overall stance where you've seen something go in this Texas program from a
1: recruiting perspective, you've got to trust this guy and what he's done. It's ridiculous. Here's why why I like what Sark's long game in recruiting, because guys don't develop on the same timeline. Absolutely. And the reality of this is, you know, a guy like Chad Ward for hurt his knee last spring, right? So he wasn't the same player early in the season as he was late in the season. Okay, so that one that was an injury. Smitherego wasn't on anybody's radar this time last year, right? He was at Hastings, a program that got staff does a good job, but they've struggled there in the A Leaf schools for years, right? They opened up Taylor. The kids have been recruited out of A Leaf, uh, quite frankly, and. So it's a program that doesn't get as much foot traffic as it used to, right? But these guys physically, too, develop on different timelines. I mean, I always go back to Trevor Gooseby. Trevor Gooseby wasn't a take for Texas when he went to Under Armour camp in spring of his junior year. Okay, Trevor Goosby was an athletic guy, basketball, football guy with upside. But he wasn't a, a, an offer take for Texas at that time he was 6'6 and change and 268. He's now 6'8, 315. I mean, so just think the guys don't develop on the same timeline. I mean, your skill guys that are really good at an early age, you know, those guys pretty much, Ryan Williams, you pretty much know, right, Bobby? You know, you pretty much know where those guys are headed, but your big, large humans, your big humans, those guys' frames develop on a different timeline. So, If you're too early to make decisions nowadays as a blue blood power school, you're making a mistake in my estimation. I believe partially that's why you've seen Clemson take a dip. Yeah, they went too early. early. Too early. Dabo, it's a more talented roster than Max later years. Don't get me wrong. But he's kind of done what Matt did at Texas with more talented players on his roster. He's. He's gone all in on a lot of guys early. Um, and there's just too many good football players around the country. And if you're going to be a national program recruiting nationally, you cannot box yourself in early. Because the last thing Steve Sarkeesian wants to do as the head coach at Texas is take four guys in the state of Texas commitments early and then cut them late. It's fine to recruit out of state, but it's not where you get into some issues is if you start. If you take commitments early from guys in state, then find somebody better out of state and cut those kids. You that's not the situation you want to get into. Or or take those kids in state and can't go get Brandon Baker when he wants to come. That's right. It goes back to what I said earlier. Brandon Baker, he doesn't visit until the spring game of last year. That's, that's when not Texas, Texas. Was he was at that the the on three uh, nil uh, yeah.
0: party, so to speak. I don't even know how to say it. It was a gathering of the five stars. It wasn't even a, a workout or et cetera. It was just an NIL symposium. And he was talking Georgia, Ohio State, USC. Florida. He wasn't even talking Texas, yeah. talk Texas at the time. Yep. Seeking the truth never gets old.
2: scholarship offers and prospects let's take this question from Ekim. he says do you see a push to make all football scholarship offers committable to all prospects
1: the pro the pro the recruiting process would have to change greatly because here's the problem um i so it's twofold colleges offer kids at too young of an age right but but from the recruit perspective what's truly changed about recruiting is you have to offer these guys to stay in the game i mean so if a seven-on-seven seven team is going to make a six-school tour, and they go to these places and their best players get offered by four schools, but two two of these schools are like, nah, you know we're not, you know we're not going to offer these kids that early. Well, you lose out on some kids like that. So the process is flawed a little bit, guys. Um, and, and I get it, uh, but all co- offers are not going to be committable. The thing I've always said about recruiting is. Um, is if a kid has forty offers, very few of those guys can call forty schools and actually commit. I mean, that's just the reality, right? There's very few guys who, if they have, if their profile anywhere shows thirty-five or forty offers, they could call all those schools and those schools would take their commitment today, February twelfth. There's not a lot of those guys, um, but you have to get kids on campus if you're the colleges, and if you're not, if you're not willing to offer these guys uh, early and just throw the offer out there. The offer is to get kids on campus. Think about how many guys Nick Saban offered at Alabama. The offer was to get you to campus so he could evaluate you fully and then decide who he really wants in his class. Texas success is enabling Sark to do the same thing. Let me ask you this, Jerry. This is a question. How do you...
0: I agree with you, first of all. So I, you and I are on the same page, 100%, okay? How to, How do you justify or... Rectify, then also taking 2026 20, commits like they did, yeah, and Racine Gillard. So how do you how do you marry those two ideas? You know that guy's good enough and you want him, or you know what? We realize it's two years out and he may get you know longing eyes somewhere else, like Aaron Hampton did. Yeah, is that is that how you justify the the two situations? I agree. You can't. 2025 is upon us. Twenty twenty six is in the off, and yet they've taken a commitment there. Yeah. So I,
1: how do you, you know, mesh the two uh, lines of thinking? Because I agree with you. Yeah, I think if you see a guy, a, a racing Guillory commit this early, that means a Cheshire choice thinks this guy is extremely elite, right? At his position, you know, you're not burning one of your two running back takes, and and especially taking a guy that early, that may affect you getting a second guy uh, in a way as well. If you sign two backs in twenty five, so uh, to answer your question, I'm not sure there's a perfect answer for that, but I think if you take a twenty twenty six early, that's not a quarterback. You think that guy's a very elite prospect. Well, they did it last year with KJ Lacey. Correct. Quarterbacks different, right? Yeah. Quarterbacks different animal because they they you
0: you got to if you know that guy, then you go on that guy. Yeah. Who do you
1: think is going to be the twenty five quarterback by the or twenty six quarterback at this point? 25. I think, yeah, so that's 26 is interesting. So I know two guys in Texas for sure, and there's going to be a lot. But I've come across two guys that have said that I was told A.J. Millway's going to go watch throw in, in the spring evaluation period. That is uh, the, the quarterback at Grand Oaks, uh, Grant Smith, about 6'3", 210. I saw him at a seven-on-seven seven a couple weekends ago. Big arm kid, first-year starter at Grand Oaks uh, last year. Uh, Big hands, 10 and a half inch hands, big hands, big, good looking kid. Um, Then the other is Jet Surratt at Carthage, which I was there last Thursday. And I am not comparing him because when you say the word, people run with it. But I do get Colt McCoy vibes with Jet Surratt a little bit as an athlete, as an instinctive quarterback, as an instinctive athlete. The accuracy uh, to all parts of the field, the anticipation, the athleticism. And the, the the leadership, just it's so – there's some vibes there. I'm not saying he's going to be that good of a player, right? That that remains to be seen. Uh, but there's those. that's two guys for sure that they're going to go watch. I think A.J. Milway's spring evaluations are huge. Then you're going to see them decide who they're going to bring into the elite camp in early June. That's where K.J. Lacey committed last year.
0: And then you have Will Griffin out of Tampa. There's probably other guys yeah. that are, who was at the junior day. Yeah. yeah, in that category. So that's quarterback for 2026. I, I, and by the way, Grand Oaks, for those of you, I mean, that's a new school in spring. Yes. And so if you haven't heard of that one before, it's in, down in the Houston area, North Houston. That's Utah. that growth, that
1: continued growth east of 45 there in the spring area. It's just like it's just like there's a new high school in Frisco every week, it seems like. Somebody asked about Caden Barker Galveston Ball. He'll be a guy they go watch. I mean – Look, Caden Barker was at uh, Clear Falls, I believe. That Maybe dad or mom is UTMB. So they moved down to Galveston Island. He goes to Galveston Ball.
2: Uh, good, young, good young player. Uh, we're going to go back to the conversation we were just having. Mike G says, on the flip side, how often does Texas lose very good prospects because they don't push earlier? There are a few I can think of the past couple of years. This is a great question,
1: because it all depends on how good you are at the time. When Texas was at... Well, just treading water. Yeah, but if you're in a power position, you don't lose those guys. You can come back on those guys. I mean, think about how many guys that a Nick that Nick Saban, you know, flipped late or was in on late that came in on later. So if you're in the playoffs and you're having guys drafted and you have that resume uh, that Sark's building at Texas, you can you can do some work late. Uh, you can get in on some guys late. Guys, maybe feelings aren't hurt as bad if it's a school that's one of the very top in the country, and they see is a way to get path to the NFL. I mean, that's just the reality. If you're sitting there and you're seven and six, six and seven, seven and six, and you're still a flagship program in a state, sorry, Mike Elko, um, and 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 you (laughs) can lose out on some at that point in time.
0: I'm look. I'm just looking down the list right now has Texas lost out on at this point in the state of Texas for 2025? There are two that have committed elsewhere that they that they have really wanted. DeCorian Moore, the wide receiver out of Duncanville. Which who is they still came, in the balance. I know. Which they continue to recruit. Yep. And Ryan Foji, the offensive lineman out of Bridgel. And that then Devin Sanchez, three. Ohio State. Devin Sanchez, that's three. I haven't yep. gotten down to the def- uh, that part. But I, I'm just looking at that, and that's three. That's not a big number now, you know, are they going to lose more than that? Obviously. Yes. That's, that's the way it is, but
1: it's not this overwhelming number. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing too, people, we had this discussion last week, what Texas signed three of the top 10, depending on whose rankings you saw uh, look at in the 24. I think this is something very important to remember in these big time States that produce a lot of guys worth, Populations moved into those states, a lot of growth in the FW, Houston, Atlanta area. Kirby's only signing three to four out of the top ten in Georgia, and he's won two national titles in 38 of 39 games. The days of dominating a state are over. It's I, not going to happen, especially when you recruit nationally, because there may be going to be three guys ranked in that top ten that Sark's going to say, well, I like this guy, Brandon Baker, more than an offensive tackle. Or I like this running back more than Reuben Owens and C.J. Baxter. So you're going to remove yourself from three of those top ten to begin with. So then you're really looking at signing three of seven. And Terry Busey's a tremendous player. Did Texas miss? We'll find out in four years. They didn't, were never all in on him. They never he were all he in. He thought he was a corner, not a, not a wide receiver. And right. He wanted to be a wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, that's recruiting. So Kirby get, can't take them all, and he's not going to take them all. He's not going to win them all. One uh, one caveat to everything you just said,
0: the state of Louisiana. Right. It is the most provincial state as far as keeping kids home, which is one of the, the crazy things about Texas getting not only Wardell Mack, but uh, Derek Williams, Arch Manning uh, from the state. You realize that LSU signed nine of the top ten players in the state of Louisiana last year? Nine of the top ten, Jerry. That's the one caveat state. Even Ohio. Ohio State doesn't keep nine of the top ten. Yeah. Louisiana is provincial in that way, and it always has been. And it's one of the reasons why Nick Saban wanted that LSU job back in the day and what he made it into. Uh, by the way, the one of the top ten that, that went elsewhere, Wardell Mack, University
2: of Texas.
1: and And by the way, Brian Kelly got to LSU. He was going to do things his way. But uh, you know why he's such a good, really good football coach? And, and look, everybody else won the national title at LSU. We'll see if he does. But you know what he did? This is what makes him really good. Really good coaches adapt, right? He said, oops, I might have been wrong. You go get Corey Ramp because he started listening to Frank Wilson. Frank said, hold on now. That's not – how things have traditionally gone and been successful at LSU in recruiting. What well, they do? They bring Corey Raymond back. They, they get Bo Davis in there. So guys that went to LSU, the LSU ties, the state of Louisiana ties. Brian Kelly's taken a different approach in recruiting now his home state that he's now coaching in. And you saw it with Jabori Antoine. Corey Raymond, one of his very, very best friends in life, is the head coach at Westgate High. So for Texas fans that love Derrick Williams, be glad Brian Kelly didn't do that at first. Right out of the gate. Because they've changed. Brian Kelly's caught on to what he has to do to to maximize in recruiting in
2: his home state. All right, guys, Uh, let's take this question from Champ Bailey 3. He says, with Dorian Brew trending to Texas, how many more defensive backs does Texas take and who's high on the list? I would say just
1: the trending stuff, just let's just see how things play out. Okay, Ohio State's not dead in the water. Um, A lot of things can play out. I think him, I think Dorian Brew not committing uh, on January 24th, to Ohio State was very good news for Texas. Uh, Oregon, USC, whoever's in the, uh, whoever else is in the mix. I, do I like where Texas is sitting? I like where they're sitting today a lot better than I did in mid-January. I'll say that. Uh, but, you know, see how this thing plays out. Um, but, uh, you know, the other DBs, I think, look, it's kind of the, on on Texas football. Some of the guys I mentioned that they just offered, they're really looking out of state at safety. They, they would love to have Jonah Williams, Oklahoma lean, right? Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but they've really offered some out of state guys. I would bet they extend an offer in Arizona uh, in, in the coming weeks or month, Bobby, out there. So they're they're looking nationally at that DB position. They like some guys in state, obviously, they're gonna keep evaluating. We've named some of those guys, Caleb Chester, right? At Fort Bend Marshall's a guy who has a cover corner. Uh Texas has real interest in. Uh, but I, I think you're gonna see like an offer to a Dallas Golden at Tampa Berkeley prep. Now he's a I think he's a Notre Dame lean over Florida, Clemson, Georgia, but can Texas get these kids on campus is kind of what we're talking about earlier. If they can get two or three of these guys on campus, that could change the course of a recruitment, uh, just like Brandon Baker uh, and some other guys in the past have here under Stark,
2: so we'll have to see. We'll talk some more recruiting here in a second, but first, Bobby, tell folks out there about John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group. Yeah, Absolutely. John's a proud Texas X life member who has served more than 15 years as a Texas X's board member.
0: He and his wife and all six of his siblings are also proud UT grads. So it is this deep UT connection that led John to brand his firm Longhorn Wealth and dedicate it to providing total wealth management for Texas alums, employees, family and friends. Please give John and his Longhorn Wealth team a call at 972 707 4900 or visit longhornwealth.net for a free 90 minute consultation to explore how they can help you maximize and protect your tax efficient retirement income to help you live the retirement of a champion. That's John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth,
1: 972 707 4900. Hey, I want to say one other thing to kind of uh, on Sark and the approach to the long game recruiting. Um, think about an early NFL mock draft before a season every year. Have you ever gone back and looked at how many of those guys actually change over the course of a season? I think this is the way Sark approaches recruiting. Think about how much their board in 25 before the season has changed now.
2: It's and and it's still
1: months from these guys being able to sign. And it, And you're still, what, we have February, March, April, May. You're still four months from official visits. I mean, the spring evaluation is is two months away, more than two months away. So just always think about that. The old the NFL mock draft every year. Go back and look at how much those change. And that's at the professional level. Now think about the college level.
0: I love it. I, I think it's a great, I mean, because we all have seen the preseason mock drafts and how I mean, there's like of the 32 guys that I guarantee you go back. Somebody needs to go back and look at this. Of the 32 guys that ESPN put out, or whoever you want to take preseason this year, yep. how many end up being actual first-round draft picks in just nine months' time? Yeah, because it's it's August through April, and that's that's less time actually than what Texas has before the next signing day.
1: Texas has nine has eleven months to go. And I'll add this into it, why why it does correlate with an NFL draft, mock draft. Because some people say, well, well, nobody knew Byron Murphy was going to be this good. Well, so think about this. Ryan Williams is reclassified from 25 to 24. Julian Lewis, a quarterback, is going from 26 to 25. You're going to see more of these top guys, too, these very top guys, uh, whether you agree with it or not. We had a great discussion about it last week. You're going to see more guys trying to reclass in the future too because of NIL. So Texas isn't just looking at guys in the 25 class right now. What if there's a great 26 that I don't know about? Bobby doesn't know about. We don't even know about yet that Texas is hearing through the grapevine. Well, this guy might actually reclass to 25. So the recruiting game has changed so much that it is similar to an NFL mock draft early. Because Ryan Williams wasn't in your draft at the beginning of 24. But he ended up being the number one receiver in your draft, or number two behind Jeremiah Smith.
2: Great point. we'll take a couple more recruiting questions, then we'll get on to some team ones. Uh, just real quick here, Jay Early 7 says, are there any recruits to watch out for in the panhandle in the near future?
1: Oh, yeah. I'll say one. Odessa, oh, I got to look at Permian or High, has a 2026 offensive guard. Um, I think he committed to tech early. I think he's got a chance to be a top 100 national guy. I think he's actually at Permian. I'll bring up his name in a second. I will not be able to pronounce it, but <laughs> I watched tape early in the season and I thought the guy was tremendous in 2026 and will be a national offensive line recruit. Um, Wolfer Friendship as a receiver, Leighton Stone, I believe, committed to Texas Tech. He is a pretty good prospect now. I think he is probably a guy that's going to be always under-recruited because of where he's at. There may not be as much foot traffic going through some of those schools as there was 15 years ago, uh, but that that kid's going to be a very, very good player at Texas Tech at wide receiver. I, I'm going to find the kid I'm there, talking about. There's another guy, at uh, A.J. Milway went to see a guy, I think, at Estacado, too, in Lubbock. Bobby Ross, he's a 25. Okay. Um, but this 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 offensive line guy is going to be an he's a top national guy. He's a guy that you I looked at and said, okay, this guy has a career in football if he does it right. Um, I'll find him and get that name. And he's at Permian or Odessa High, you said. I, he's actually probably at Odessa High. Um, I'll, I, I'm, I'm about to bring him up in a second.
0: You know what? This the school that, that gets me every time is is a uh, the Amarillo Paladuro School. They sometimes have guys that just out of nowhere, Jerry. Yes. In, or know,
1: Tascosa.
0: Tascosa. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Amarillo is an interesting town up there because they don't have a lot. But when right. they have somebody, they have somebody.
1: Yeah.
2: That's that's the thing about East Texas. Uh, Jerry, while you're looking that up, I am going to go to some team questions. And we are going to go back to the onTexasFootball.com forums and Houston, Texas Horn says, what are you guys putting your money on? Over or under 10 and a half wins? And, of course, Vegas came out with their SEC totals uh, over the weekend. And they have Texas tabbed at 10 and a half. So, would you guys take the over or the under? Um,
0: I would probably go under right now. Until I find out who they get on on defense, on the defensive line, and see what they add maybe as a punter. but. If you actually want to know the truth, I wouldn't bet right now. I'd wait until April and find out who they get. Because I think they're going to get someone, but I'm one of those prove it to me guys. And so um, get back to me around May 15th, and
1: then I might be willing to bet that. So I'm going over, but that's counting a bowl game um, or playoff. Um, So it's actually Midland High. I was incorrect. Last name is Primus. I, I can't pronounce his first name, um, but he's he's about 6'4", 320, is a true guard, powerful, quick, powerful, long-arm guy, um, getting some power five offers. Midland High 2026 20, offensive lineman will be a national guy
2: for sure. All right, fellas, this next question here is from Horn7. Any portal takes after the spring? Bobby, obviously you just talked about defensive tackle, but do you all see them adding any other positions besides maybe punter?
0: Uh, yeah, I, punter and, and uh, defensive tackle. I, I would say this, never say never, and I'd also knock on wood, no injuries. So barring injuries or Will Johnson, a guy like him, a top 10 pick going in the portal. So there, there's a couple caveats, injuries and super freaks going into the portal. like top Like Will Johnson, the corner from Michigan. Texas has two really good corners right now, guys. They don't but if a top 10 pick goes in the portal, a top 10 pick goes in the portal. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You have to look at that. Okay? And so that's part of it. Uh but otherwise, I only suspect a defensive tackle and possibly a punter at this
2: point. And then while we're talking about the portal, Greg Jackson says, "Are there any UCLA guys that Texas could possibly target?" I'm assuming that there will be guys hitting the portal. I sure would. He said,
1: Well, it'll be interesting. Is So do do we know – have we heard any names? Uh, the Anton Lynn, who was the D.C., who is now the D.C. at USC, that seems like a smart hire by UCLA. That might keep some of that intact. But uh, obviously the D-tackle at UCLA um, would be a – would be one. Jay Toya is his name. 6'4", 325 –
0: or 6'3", 325. Jay Toya. the question I have is, if it gets to that point, would Texas take two defensive tackles? Because I'm I'm here to tell you that would be three defensive tackles. They took three. Def- they took three wide receivers in the portal. I, I think that if one of those guys at Michigan it breaks free, I think Texas is going to be all in there. I mean, you never know. I mean, here's. Texas- Texas- they have they're they're in a window right now. I, I think Texas is in a window with the
1: quarterbacks. So they're they're gonna they're gonna try to be aggressive. And look, it, it kind of goes back to yes, there's a 12 team playoff, but that means it's gonna be harder to win a national championship, by the way, moving forward in college football. But you, we go back to the Super Bowl last night with the 49ers. You never they've had two looks at it, right? And they haven't they haven't got it yet. And you never truly know. And Sark, they got Texas got that that first taste of it last year. And and you know Sark feels like we, sh- you yeah, know, we left something on the table. And you never know how many really looks you're going to get at it. Um, but uh, so I think there is a, a sense of urgency right now with the roster they have and where it's headed. I I think two things. If Texas takes two D linemen out of the portal, if the it after the spring. That means some of the young guys are not making the moves they wanted to make. That's going to be a telltale sign. I mean, not, now, not just one, not
0: just a couple, but Bledsoe and Mitchell in particular. And Sir, Mitchell,
1: those two guys. I, yeah. I don't think
0: it's necessarily an indictment one way or the other on Alex January because I no. think it's
1: it's it, you can't expect if the that. guys in year two and year three in the program yeah. if they think those are capable, really good players, and those guys have taken a big step. Maybe only take one out of the portal. If they take two, that means some of those guys have not are not at the level they think they need them at to go compete for a national championship. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I think is going to impact Texas so much next year, the season, when we're talking about win totals and things like that, is can Colin Simmons, as an edge rusher, bring what Anthony Hill did as a linebacker, as a true freshman? Who out of this freshman class was all – we talk about the portal. We know those wide receivers are going to be impactful, guys, not just at wide receiver, but part return, kickoff return with Golden and Bolden, which I like. Golden and Bolden, that should be a shirt or something. But, um, look, Colin Simmons is an edge rusher. Can he have that type of impact we've seen some of the other freshmen have? Not Kelvin Banks, okay? That was rare because Texas had to have him be really good and had to play him, just had to throw him to the wolves. Uh, but can you do what Anthony Hill, can you have that type of impact? I mean, how many of these guys in this freshman class, you have 17 early enrollees. Is somebody like a Phil Samee going to be, because he came in in the spring, better than even what the staff thought he was going to be? Could he exceed their expectations? Remember when Earl Thomas was recruited to Texas, Matt Brown, Will Muschamp, all those guys will tell you, we knew he was good. We didn't know he was this good. <laughs> Texas needs a couple of those guys. You need to hear Sark in the spring say, we knew this guy was good. We didn't know he was this good. If you have two or three freshmen get into that category after spring practice, the win totals can even start to adjust a little more.
2: Both of you mentioned the uh, portal wide receivers, which actually leads me to my next question here from Fresh6473. If Sark names Cook, Golden, and Bond as the starting wide receivers for the 24th season, do you think you could see guys like Moore and Niblett go to the portal?
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I think what I, I think what I've said this before. I think what's really why te- these blue bloods are in such a gr- power position in college football right now is, look, the portal. It, 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 anybody that faces adversity um, that wants to hit the portal can hit the portal, right? So I think when you have these loaded rosters nowadays, you find out who's really bought into patience in development, who's not just in it for the instant gratification on the field. And so I think that makes your roster churn even better for these Blue Bloods. And and You know, okay, who's really bought in, trusts us to develop them, sees that it might take them a little time, is still putting in the work with a Tory Becton or a Chris Jackson, and really has his eyes on the prize down the line, or who's out for right now because everybody develops on different timelines. So I think if for the power programs, they're even in a better position than they were, because the guys who were they get there, and they knew were talented, but after a year, they're like, man, this isn't going to work. Okay, well, fine. That's fine. But the one guy, if if one of those two guys stays and one, one leaves, then you'll know who's invested long-term and really is out to maximize his potential at the University of Texas. It's a great spot to be in if you're sorry.
2: By the way, speaking of more, he has a food truck now, Jive Turkey, <laughs> there in Austin. So, you can go check that out if you're in the Austin area and support Moore. Right, Sandman23, which game carries more weight for the Horns in 24, the Red River or the Lone Star Showdown? Stop with the Lone Star Showdown. It's, a- <laughs> it's Texas versus
0: A&M and Texas versus OU. I don't, I don't get with these names. I, I know they want it because they want to sell the naming rights. It's Texas versus AM. It's Texas OU. I, I don't Red River Showdown, Red River Rivalry. Well, we had too many gunshots. Let's call it this. Inst- I mean, give me a break. It's Texas OU. It's
1: the Cotton Bowl. It's Texas, Texas AM home and away. Period. I would say Oklahoma next year because Oklahoma won. No way. I mean, dude, you're rekindling the rivalry with A. Hey, hey, hey. Brent Venables and Stutzman <laughs> celebrated on social media. Like, I mean, just name it. That game's, and it's the first game. Now, I'll say this. If Oklahoma beat Texas a second year in a row next year, then the A&M game takes on even more. But the return of the rivalry, I get what you're saying, Bobby, but that Oklahoma was a heartbreaker last year. you know, is there going to be a game that an A
0: and M person wants to win more than that in the oh, last? Oh, not A and M. No.
1: Oh, no, 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 not A and M.
0: But Texas I mean, last one hundred years. Is there going to be more? I mean, no, because Texas has had eternal scoreboard for thirteen years.
1: Well, let's ask the chat score Let's ask the chat. Rank these four games next year, if you're a Texas fan. We're actually rank. Let's say four. Okay. At Michigan, I'm throwing in. There's a four. It's going to be four. Would you rather beat Georgia, who will probably have won 48 of 50 games? Would you rather beat Georgia, Oklahoma, A and M? In what order? To me, Georgia's got to be number one next year because if you beat Kirby Smart in Austin, Bobby, that's that's the program in college football right now. That means you beat Alabama. Two years ago at, B- at BAM, and you beat Georgia in year one in the SEC. So rank those four. So Ryan Nelson, OU, Georgia, Michigan, AM. and I think it's a great conversation. For AM fans, it's Texas. So I got to say,
0: first of, all, first of all, it's – I am happy, finally, that we get to talk like this. Yes. Okay, because when we were in the Big 12 – Oh, what's the big game? Oh, Iowa State's coming! Woo! You know, I mean that. Now you've got Georgia coming. You got Florida coming. You got. I mean, even the 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 teams that you don't necessarily think of are actually good. Um, I my my take on it is uh, OU and A and M are just different and set aside from the rest of the schedule. Yeah, and I will tell you this: if the Texas football coach doesn't see it that way, you'll <laughs> figure it out
1: real quick. I mean, I'll say
0: that I- Michigan, Michigan, yada, 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 great. If you're the head coach at Texas, you better better figure out OU and you better, better figure out A&M. Y'all can talk about which one's the best one this year, that year. OU, A&M. Figure it out. Sark, your job. I mean, ask Ryan Day which one's the most important, and he didn't have a, he didn't have a choice. Yeah.
1: He beats them all except for Michigan. Well, somebody said A and M long term. Kelly, hey, I, I agree with this. So I, I think where Texas is at this year, I think it's so interesting. If Texas wins at Michigan, which I think they'll be the favorite to win at Michigan, there's just too, so much change there from the, so many guys leaving for the NFL coaching staff. If you beat Alabama, if you wanted Alabama. Michigan and beat Georgia in a two-year period, hmm, that's pretty strong. Now, I agree moving forward. I think Georgia's actually going to be number one for – Oklahoma or Georgia's going to be one, two for Texas fans next year because I think the perception is that A&M's somewhat irrelevant now because they just haven't had the success. But but that's going to come back quickly after because look the younger Texas fans the Tex, think about the Texas fans in college right now they haven't been through this rivalry yet it's going to come back it may take a couple of years i, I think that's there's some truth to that um
0: so uh, some of these guys in the chat that aren't talking about a&m
1: they haven't had the a&m rivalry for 13 years to talk about they haven't seen a&m celebrate be- beating texas in the state for 364 That's when it comes back, guys. It's not here yet. But now, the most important game for Texas A&M next year is at University of Texas in College Station. No question about it. But for Texas, I think Oklahoma's bigger. And I think for some Texas fans right now, Georgia's is going to be bigger.
2: Bobby, I think you just found your next community poll question. (laughs) (laughs) Which game's more important, OU or A&M? I think that needs to be the next poll for sure. And Georgia. Yeah. <laughs>
0: hey, I here's the issue Texas Oklahoma is a state versus state rivalry, right? Okay, AM in Texas is an intrastate rivalry, they are two separate animals, okay, but they are equally important. You can have co leaders, you know, neither one of them are. For the national championship per se, they may have national championship implications, but I, I'm just here to tell you. I mean, you're the head coach at the University of Texas, and no, you, don't I agree. Play, you don't have a, a a play for A&M and a play for OU. You're not you're not doing your job.
1: And I and if I were the AD, I would tell them that. Yeah. Now, I I agree with Bobby's point, and here's the here's why it's a fascinating conversation. Is a great conversation. Texas got more run out of winning at Alabama last year than they would have got even if they beat Oklahoma last year. Period. So this year, nationally, is different from in-state. Texas is going to be, they're supposed to beat A&M next year. If they beat Georgia with college game day there, that's kind of, from a national perspective, so if you go talk to all the top football prospects in the country, Georgia's on every list. So Georgia to me is like Alabama last year from a recruiting perspective. Can you imagine the kids that are going to be at the Texas-Georgia game next year? Can you imagine the attendance at that game if it's timely for kids and families to be there? Texas would get the mileage out of beating Georgia in Austin the first year in the SEC. I'm not even sure we can... Say how much mileage they'd get out of that right now, but it's a fascinating conversation. I agree, with Bobby. You have to beat Oklahoma. You have to beat A and M if you're head coach at University of Texas. But I think the national perceptions some a little different as well.
2: All right, guys. Well, as you said, Jerry, fascinating conversation for sure. We can carry this conversation over to the OnTexasFootball.com message board. So please join us over there if you haven't already. Uh, But we got to get out of here, guys. Bobby, real quick, can you tell folks what's on later today? Yeah, we got talking ball later today. We may end up doing a – Jerry and I did a defensive
0: line breakdown late yesterday after the Super Bowl. Uh, We may post that today as well. But visit us uh, if you get a chance and sign up for, please, for free on TexasFootball.com. That's on TexasFootball.com. CJ will be over there writing articles today, uh, catching up with you guys. Uh, as well as myself and Jerry as well. Again, we also had a, a little bit of a breaking news piece earlier today. The uh, University of Texas, uh, according to a high-ranking source, not expected to entertain playing any Big 12 schools next year or the foreseeable future in football or basketball. That's uh, what I'm hearing right now from folks uh, in on campus there
2: in Austin. Well, thank you all for tuning in. We definitely appreciate it. As Bobby said, head on over to ontexasfootball.com and join in on the discussion. We also need to thank John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group, along with Manscaped. So for Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome. Have a good week, guys.
0: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants